How are you guys? You good? It's good to see you. If you would turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Am I cutting out? That's not good. All right, Isaiah 46. Before we get started with that, um, I wanted to have a special prayer time. Um, some of our family, our church family, Ron and Diane Tite, right back there in the back, um, are moving to North Carolina. Is that right? North South Carolina. South Carolina. And this is their last Sunday with us. So we wanted just to have a prayer time with, uh, with them and for them. So why don't we, since we got comfortable, let's go ahead and stand together. And if you are in the back area there by Ron and Diane, if you would just kind of mosey over that direction, put a hand on them, give them a hug. Let's gather around them so we can pray and just uh, trust them to the Lord as they, they head back east. We love you guys very much. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt that. Let's pray. Father, you, you are a good Father, a gracious Father, and you have united us together as the family of Christ. And we are so thankful for that. We're thankful for the time we get to spend with each of our family members, and especially as we uh, remember Ron and Diane, as, as they've been part of our church fellowship for, for many years. We thank you for that time. We've shared with them. We thank you for the impact that you have made in their lives and through their lives on our lives. God, as they, as they leave now, as they head to the next chapter of their life, as they go back east, God, I pray that you would just remind them every step of the way that you are present, that you are guiding them, that you are directing them, that you, you, uh, you make them so aware of your, your power and your strength uh, every step of the way, and that you would be using this time as a time to continue to draw them closer to you. And God, it's, it's very difficult, I know, as we, we leave our home church to go find another home church. But God, I pray that you would just draw them into the right fellowship, into the right people, that God, there are people there waiting to receive them warmly, God, into the fold. Uh, of the family of God uh, in South Carolina. We thank you for their faith and their life and just how they've touched us. God, may they go knowing that you go before them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys very much. I don't like it when our family has to break up like that. But I understand that. Not cool. (laughs) God opens doors and shuts doors and Guides us to different places. We know that. Well, we are going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 46 briefly. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that is really uh, just on my heart to share, we, we love having the Word of God available to us and to open it and to read it. Um, and I know I've, I have comments once in a while from people who say, well, why, why don't you put the verses back up on the screen? And I, I think, yeah, that's, that's great. You, you read the exact same version I have because I'd be reading it with you. Um, you know, but one of the things I've seen in the last couple of years and I've just been so excited and thanking God for every week, is that more and more of you are bringing your Bible from home to church. That you're opening your Bible and you're knowing and seeing and reading the pages of the Word of God on your lap. And what's really neat is as I, as I read a passage of Scripture, sometimes I'll stop or pause in the middle and you won't know I'm doing that, right? And I'll pause to explain it. And then I'll look up and start explaining and I'll see a half or more of you pop your heads up. Because half or more of you are in the Word, in the Bible. And I really like that. So I, one of the things that I know it's hard to keep up sometimes with me, and uh, that's why we write it in the notes, the sermon notes, have all of those, the, it has the answer key, right, of where we're going to be that day. And what I would encourage you to do, and, uh, and is maybe come a little earlier, I know some of you already do this, and just come a little earlier and maybe, maybe set up the, uh, uh, your Bible with tabs to, to find those verses and be able to flip to them quickly as we go back and forth, okay? So that's a way we can keep up. Um, not that I may not ever use the screen for a passage, but certainly want to keep us in the Word of God uh, in the Bible, okay? So uh, with that said, we're, we're in the middle uh, of a series called Come and See, actually the second week of four. Uh, the, the series uh, is, is a series called Come and See because we want to be challenged by God, and we are challenged by God, to invite people around us in, in our community, in our family, in our school, in our workplace, uh, in our summer job, wherever it is, we are invited. We are inviting people to come and see how God has transformed our lives. And as Christ followers, we, we gather as the body of Christ. We are Christ followers. Uh, we we are proclaiming that He has saved us, that He has rescued us from sin and death, and given us a righteousness that was not something we attained on our own, but we came to Him empty, needing to be filled with His, and He gave that to us. And when 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 He did that, when He saved us, He took out this hard, rotten evil heart out of our chest and replaced it with a heart of flesh, a soft, tender heart responsive to him and his will. He brought us from from death into life. 
And see, that is a huge transformation, right? We have been totally transformed. The Bible says that there was an old person that was dead and rotting, and now, now because of Christ, everything is made new. He makes all things new. And, and just think of your life. Think of where you were 20 years ago. Maybe you weren't born. Think of where you were 10 years ago. Think of where you were one year ago. God is in a redemption business drawing us into himself and conforming us, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, that we would look more and more like the Son. There's a transformation happening. And what I argued last week is that some of us don't like to offend people, so we water down that transformation. You know, I'm not even talking about going and, and just sharing the Bible and shoving this down someone's throat, because everyone knows that can be offensive, right? Harsh. It's still truth, right? And, but as we, my, my argument was, as we actually share an authentic, transformed life with people, people are interested in that. And from that interest, they will then ask questions for which we can go to the Word and say, here's what it says. Here's how it's going to convict. Here's how, here's how God will transform us. But we water it down, not wanting to be pushy, not wanting to be too edgy, especially as culture begins to sway way outside of the bounds of a transformed Christian life. We don't want to be offensive, but we want to show transformation, right? I want to, I want to show people, and sometimes transformation is offensive. They don't want it, and that's okay. But Jesus has brought you from death to life. Why would you hide that? Why would I hide that? Why would I not invite the entire world to come and see that they can have life too? We talked about last week that some people think nothing good can come out of Nazareth, right? Nothing good can come from Jesus. Nothing good can come from church or, or learning more about God or, or humbling my own heart. And we saw that scene where Jesus last week called the disciples to come and follow him. And they, they, they were interested. They left John the Baptist. They were interested in asking, well, you know, or what he asked, what, what are you seeking? Well, wh- where are you going? Where are you, where, do you, where are you staying? Is what they answered, right? Very physical, temporal kind of thing. Like, they're all, all worried about maybe physical stuff. And Jesus certainly is about the, the spiritual. So, of course, he brought him and showed him where he was staying. But what happened? They, they got there and saw that, and they spent the day with him. And we don't even know what happened during that day. But what we do know is after that day, they were completely different. They were no longer going back and telling the disciples, hey, we found out where Jesus was staying because that was not long, no longer important to them. They were going back and telling others, we found the Messiah. We found the one Moses and the prophets talked about. And when Philip, who had been transformed by Jesus, goes to Nathanael underneath that fig tree, he says, we found Jesus, uh, son of Joseph of Nazareth. He's the one Moses and the prophets talked about. Skeptical, right, at the tree, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? Can something good come out of Nazareth? And, and we talked about that. That's the heart of some people we talk to, right? But what, what Philip said to Nathaniel was so important. He said, come and see. Come and see. I want to show you Jesus, the Messiah. I want to tell you how he's transformed me. And he got up and he came and saw Jesus. And he was forever transformed and believed in Christ. You see, this is about the transformation that's happened in us. We tend to think sometimes evangelism or Sharing our faith or even, even, even being in church is kind of like, oh, we're going through the motions. We just got to get it done. It's like we're, we're going to be a good student. We'll show up. We'll sit in the seat. We'll study real hard the night before. We'll cram for the test so we know what we're talking about, and then we'll leave and go do our thing. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants you and I to be transformed and live transformed and to continue to be conformed by the Word into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, so that when the world looks at us, They don't see a smaller, different variation of themselves. They see people who have been radically changed and brought from death to life because of Jesus Christ. We invite them to come and to see. Come and see. Some will want to, and that's okay. Some will leave. Some will will unfriend you. That's okay. Jesus will never do that to you. He has brought you from death to life, so let's, let's follow there. So as we, as we continue, and that was last week we talked about this idea of coming and seeing, inviting people to come and see, and the motive behind that, the why behind that was because he's changed everything, because everything is different. And I look around, I, I know, I've had this conversation with some of you, like, you're not, I'm not quite ready to talk about this, I'm not quite ready to invite people or be hospitable in my home or, and, and really kind of share my life with people. But I look at your life and I see from one, two, ten years ago, you're already doing that more. We just need to, we need to get more and more vulnerable with Jesus. 
We need to get over ourselves more and more and stop being full of ourselves, right? So we can be empty and then filled with Jesus. So we can move into that place of just honest, vulnerable, authentic Jesus. Transformation. Here's what he's done in my life. Because the world, listen, they need it. They desperately need to be rescued from death to life. They, they, they are looking for hope in every other aspect of life. Every other way culturally, they're trying to find some kind of hope and fulfillment. And every one of those ways runs dry and, and, and leaves them with nothing. But when we come with nothing to Jesus, he becomes our everything. So today as we go from this, this motive of why, we kind of transition into the how. Still part of the why, but, but how do we invite people to come and see? What does that, what does that mean for us? And today we're going to be talking about and looking at the sovereignty of God because I believe when we really have faith in the sovereignty of God, when we invite people to come and see, we're trusting that God's sovereign over that invitation, that God's sovereign over that relationship, that God's sovereign over that divine appointment he's given us, that God is sovereign, okay? Let's look at this passage in Isaiah. Let's pray first. We'll pray and then we'll look at the passage in Isaiah. Father, we, we come before you thanking you for your grace and your truth, the mercy in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word and how powerful and living and active it is. And God, we ask now that you would open our hearts to be receptive to its message. That God, you would cut us to the core if we need cut there. That you would challenge us and change us. God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, drive us into an obedient position with you where we would just trust and obey the Lord Jesus. We want to be transformed every day. We want to be changed every day. Father, help us to not water that down. And let the whole world see the transformation that you've made in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 46, if you're there in your Bible, uh, beginning at verse 8, going through 11. God's sovereignty. <clears throat> Remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago uh, what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place, and I will do all my will. I call a bird of prey from the east, a man for my purpose from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it. I will also do it. God is sovereign. Amen? God will do as He, ple- as he pleases. And what, I think, you know, there's, there's a... An idea there that we get this, this super big responsibility on our shoulders that, you know what, if, if we don't do something right, you know, it's like we're working in a job. If I don't do something right, I'm going to get fired. If I don't do something right, the order's not going to get put in. If I don't get to do something right, someone's, someone's going to get in trouble. And, and there's a whole different aspect to our obedience than just trying to do the job for, for results. There, obedience is about the heart. And Jesus wants us to, to be submissive to him as a father and obey from our heart as a child would obey their parents. But it is not It is not about getting results. God is not depending on you and me for the results. God is God, and God will get his own results. Okay, So that's, that's talking about the sovereignty of God, and that should kind of free us a little bit as well. So let's go into this. We, we, we come and see you know, our faith in the sovereignty of God. So number one, what's number one? How, how is that practically done? Well, we really believe in his sovereignty. We really believe that he is sovereign. We can say it all day long. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we have faith in the sovereignty of God. But do you really believe that? Do you really trust that? Do you really, do you, is that really reflected in your life that God is sovereign? If you want to turn to the book of Ruth, I'd appreciate that, the book of Ruth. We're going we're gonna to kind of talk about a few good stories today. Uh, I would encourage you on your own uh, to go home and read these full stories with your, with your family, kind of get the gist of it. It really, well, I think, will we'll create a richness and a fullness uh, of, of what's being presented today both from Ruth and from the book of Esther. So we are in Ruth, chapter 1, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to start uh, down at verse 19 and kind of go through some of the, the highlights of the story as we go on together. So just to catch you up on this, Ruth uh, was what took place, this book of, the, book of Ruth took place in the time when the judges ruled. It says in the first line of, of Ruth 1.1. So this is a time in Israel's history where God raised leaders that would take care of and defend and, and, and ward off uh, people in, in, that would be coming against Israel just when Israel needed them. Because Israel had this, this 
uh, weird pattern they got into, and like we do. They, they loved God. They worshiped God. God, God, God. And then they, eh, well, we like ourselves. And they got, went astray. They didn't really listen to God. They did their own evil. And they, so, somehow God, God showed the, that they had to take responsibility for that. And they brought an oppressive force in, whether it be a neighboring country in. And they were taken captive, and they were under oppression. And kind of woke them up, right? His little wake-up call. Hello, I'm still God, and you're forsaking me. And then, then they would repent, and they would cry out to God for for help and rescue, and God would rescue them by sending a leader, or a judge, a ruler to, to rescue them. And this cycle kept going on and on and on and on. So the first part of Ruth, we see kind of part of a downhill cycle. We see that there's a famine in the land in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, uh, the name Bethlehem means house of bread, right? It's supposed to be this, this full place of provision. And there's a famine in the land, and there's no bread. So this man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they got their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they decided, we're going to move to Moab. We're taking the family. We're going. There's nothing here for us, right? They're leaving. Mind you, they're leaving behind their, their people group, their cultural, cultural familiarity. They're leaving behind their religious or, or faith-centered people group as well, the support system, leaving, leaving behind friends, fam, friends and family. They're going to a foreign country where there is nobody, nobody that's going to help them, right? So the decision was, eh, is that good or bad? But God was still sovereign. So they move. And while they're there, they seem like they're doing okay. The boys get married, and then all of a sudden, the father dies, Elimelech dies, and then the two boys die shortly after. So now Naomi is, is there by herself with her two daughters-in-law, right, who, who they still have family in the area. They're, they're of another culture, another religion, and they have, they have other family they can cling to. And Naomi's like, this is, this is nuts. What is, what is going on? Kind of a low time in her life, right? Circumstances have brought her to a low point. So she decides upon hearing that that sounds like things are a little better in Bethlehem, she's going to go back. She's going to go back to her church family, back to her, back to her home, back to her culture, back to what she knows, and, uh, and just and try to sort it out. So the girls decide, well, we're, we're going to go with you. And they get, they, they're out on the road about halfway or so, and they're like, she's like, no, I, I think you really should stay. You really need to stay. This is, this is your people. Your parents are here. Your family, you know, everything, stay here. It's wrong of me to bring you along, you know, to take care of me. So Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, says, okay, I'll go back. But Ruth, we see in Ruth, it, it, she makes a covenant, not only with Naomi, but with God. She says, I'm not going to leave you, and your God's going to be my God. I am following you. And so she decides, I'm, I'm sticking with you. Let's go. And, and two of them together traveled to Bethlehem. And that's kind of where we, we pick up in verse 19. And all along, what I want us to see here is point number one, we have to believe that God is sovereign. So we need to see God's sovereignty and his provision through, this, through the, the, the story here, okay? Uh, verse 19. We'll start in verse 19. And we're going to go through 22. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. The local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Which means sweet or pleasant, by the way. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Right, this is her countenance, and her, Mara it means bitter. Call me bitter, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So I want us to see a couple things in this first part. We see that, that they're, they're coming back, and, and she's, she's kind of like, you know, I, I know my people. I know this group. It seems like it was better there for me than it was in Moab, so I'm, I'm going back and, and thinking maybe, what's God up to? And certainly something is on her heart, right, because she says that eventually. She comes back, and the gals say, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're back, Naomi. She's like, no, I am not pleasant. I am not sweet. Don't address me like that. And I like how she gets really honest, because you know how we ask, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. And we say fine all the time, right? We're fine. She didn't say fine. She says, I'm bitter. I'm mad. I'm angry at what has happened here. What, is, what did she say has happened? She says, for the Almighty. So now she acknowledges the Almighty, the sovereign God. The Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back what? Empty. The Lord has brought me back empty. Now, what I want us to think about in, in this time, you think about going away full. It is so easy for us, and we tend to do it all the time, when we are full, when we're fat and happy, 
We, are, we have an easy God saying, God, you are so good. You are so sovereign. You are so, so merciful. You are, you are God. You provide for us. We have no problem when we're full saying that God's sovereign, do we? But what about when we're empty? What about Job? What did he say? He says, the Lord gives, the Lord what? Takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. See, God is still sovereign over his creation, even in the hard times. Even in the times we don't understand, he is still sovereign. Now, we'll see the sovereignty progress through this passage, but think about your own life. You've been full before and satisfied with God's sovereignty, and you have been empty and gone through very, very difficult trials and dark times in your life, and you have had to, had to really lean in and really trust that God was sovereign, that God was going to guide and protect your heart, and that he would carry you through and give you a hope. Even, even when you felt empty. And think about that empty time. We just talked about this, right? We can't come to Jesus full, can we? Sometimes it takes a little bit of emptying in our life for us to really be able to get real with Jesus. For us to really humble ourselves in a way that, that Jesus can fill us up with what he wants inside. It takes us getting unfull of ourself. Becoming totally empty. Wrecked. Ruined. And God can deal with us. And I think that's where Naomi had to go. She had to go to that place where she really understood how empty she was. She still, she still knows God's there. I'm not real happy with him right now, but we'll see what happens, right? And for you and I, we look back, and it's easy for us to kind of complain and be mad and angry in the storm, in the middle of a storm. But you and I have had more storms than the ones right now. And if we were to look back on our life, on the storms we've gone, gone through and the storms that God has carried us through, if we were to look back on our life, we'd say, thank you, God, that you were sovereign over those Thank you, God, for what you've done through those. Thank you, God, for who you have made me because of those storms and because of those victories. We, thank, we praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then we get right to here. It's like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank, wait a minute. God, I'm really mad at you right now because there's a storm raging. I feel empty right now. He says, that's perfect. I'm so glad you feel empty. Can I fill you up? Will you trust me? Will you find your hope in me and your refuge in me? And when he does, he carries us. He, listen, our lives may not even get great this side of heaven. This side of heaven, it may be we are just always empty needing to be filled by Jesus. We may never have these awesome, awesome mountaintop victories where it's like, hey, it's, it's great right now. Things are awesome right now. But what, what God is promising is that he is sovereign. If we can just trust him now in his sovereignty and, and step forward in time and continue to move forward out of this season, we'll be able to look back and say, God, you were sovereign there. You were up to something. Think about how God has drawn you to himself in your own life. Think about 10 years ago or 20 years ago or one year ago. Think about your story, how your story was just on a collision course with God's story and how when it collided, it may have, it may have had some sparks, right? It may, have, it may have had some shrapnel. It may have had some hurt, but it's worked out combining our story with God's story. He's done it for his good and his glory. Because God is about his glory and his kingdom. And if we can trust in the sovereignty of God, our hope then rests in him and his kingdom and not in ourself and our comfort. But God is still sovereign. And when we invite people in, we invite people to come and see that God is our hope and God is our refuge, that he is sovereign. And not only that, the people God brings into my life, he is sovereign over those relationships as well. And we'll see that in a minute. Let's carry on in this passage. Jump to chapter 2. And we're going to go to verse uh, 2 through 12. So it's time of the barley harvest. So Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone uh, who allows me to? Naomi answered, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth, uh, Ruth left and entered the, the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, uh, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz uh, asked his servants who was in charge of the harvesters. Whose young woman is this? The servant, asked, uh, the servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She, uh, she asked, Will you let me gather uh, from the fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? 
She came and has remained from, from early in the morning until now, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in any other field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my young women. Uh, see which field they are harvesting and follow them. I have ordered the young men not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go drink from the jars uh, the young men have filled. So she bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been re fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of, of your birth and how you, have come, uh, how, you, how you came to a people you didn't previously, previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, may, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So a couple things just to, to see as this story progresses, to see about God's sovereignty. Uh, God is sovereign. I, I think it's really neat how, how Boaz, though, gives, gives a couple of instructions. I think that's, that's true of God as well. God is sovereign, but he wants to give us instructions to, so we understand how he's going to provide for us. And, and in verse 8, this is what Boaz says. Boaz says to Ruth, he says some commands. Listen, right? Listen, attention right here. She could have been like, oh, hum -de dum and done her own thing. She listened, right? Listen, my daughter. Don't go somewhere else. Don't leave this field. So don't go. You, listen here. Don't go. You stay. Stay here close. Um, and, and those are instructions. This is, how, this is how you're going to be provided for. And this is how God is using me to help provide for you. Then he said, and when you're thirsty, go get a drink. Go drink from the... The, the pots that the, the men have filled. This is how you're going to be provided for. But, but see, you and I have to listen at times, right? We have to see that God is giving us instruction, and we have to stay close and listen and obey, and, God, and that's how God is providing. Sometimes we don't, we don't see God's provision in our life because we're not listening to Him. We're not listening to how He's going to provide, right? So it goes on, and I love how this goes on. He says, she says in verse 10, she bowed with her face down to the ground and said to Him, Why are you so kind to notice me? Whose kindness are we really talking about here? We're talking about the Lord's kindness, right? Because Boaz is a man full of faith, full of trust in the sovereignty of God, full, full, full to himself that God, God is going to use me and, and bless people through me. In fact, that's how he deals with his laborers, right? He, he, the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you. So God's kindness, God's provision, God's sovereignty is shining through even then, and she is noticing God is being sovereign in a time when she and her mother-in-law need it the most. May the Lord reward you. See, he again trusts in the Lord. The Lord is going to give you fullness. Even though you may be empty now, the Lord is going to give you fullness. So she, she gleaned grain. Let's go to verse 17. 17 through uh, 20. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. Um, she beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into, went into the town where her mother-in-law said, uh, where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Uh, then she brought out what she had left over from, from her meal and gave it to her. Then her mother-in-law said to her, where did, you, where, did you get, or where did you go gather barley today? Uh, where did you work? May the Lord, now listen, this Naomi, this is what Naomi says. May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. So she sees, what does Naomi see? How God is sovereignly providing. And now she doesn't say, man, I'm really mad. Although she's probably still bitter. She says, may the Lord bless the man who noticed you. This is, this is, may God notice the man who's noticing you. And she's saying, this is from God. This provision is from God. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the men she worked with that and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not, here, look at this, who has not what? Forsaken his kindness to the living or to the dead. What does Naomi Doing, she's, she's see, she's taking that step out of that emptiness. Saying, look at God's kindness. God's kindness is coming forward. We, we just, I needed to be honest with God. I needed to be open with God. But look how God is providing. And see, as this story progresses, we're going to get to the end and say, wow, wow, God. That was amazing. You did something I, I didn't even picture was going to happen. So let's continue on and see what, see what it is. Uh, and we're going to go to chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. And meanwhile, what happens is uh, Boaz wanting to treat her as a daughter, as, as, as a, like, I'm protecting you, I'm taking care of you, uh, I don't see you in any way romantically, I'm not trying to have you become my wife, I'm just going to make sure I take care of you, because you're taking good care of Naomi. So Naomi kind of plots with 
plots with uh, Ruth a little bit and says, eh, go dress up a little bit, go down to the threshing floor, let him catch, let, let, go catch his eye. Go catch Boaz's eye. Kind of let him know, like, hey, this could work. This, this is what should be happening, too. And you can take it as you will. Read it tonight. It's pretty funny. She goes down there and, and, and says, hey, I, I'm willing to be your wife. He's like, oh, oh, basically, I, I didn't even I didn't think about that. Oh, yeah, that, that makes good sense, right? He's, he's like, okay, that sounds good. So he, he makes it his business now to pursue that and to finalize that, that arrangement. But he, he's the kinsman redeemer. He's the redeemer of this household because he's, he's one of the next closest ones in line to help and take over and care for Elimelech's family and his property, which now is kind of up for grabs. So he goes to the city gate where they do business, and, and he, he invites this other gentleman over who is actually the nearest kinsman redeemer and says, listen, hey, the, this family is in need of our redemption. Of, of, to be basically, basically what happens when you redeem is you take on and rescue them and provide for them and care for them and carry on the line of the of the, the widowed man or the widowed wife, right? That the man's line would be carried on, and and and, and that was the fine print that Boaz told the man, because he was all for, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. Well, well, if you do that, you're going to get the mother-in-law. And she's kind of bitter, okay, and you're going to get Ruth, the Moabite woman. She's a Moabite woman. She's Moabitess, right? And you've got to carry on her line, the lineage for, from her husband. He says, oh, oh, well, I think I have a thing that day. Why don't you go ahead and take care of this? And I'm gonna, so, so they did it. They took out their royal sandal and shook, shook it and whatever their, their tradition was, right? It's funny to read it. Um, but they sealed the deal. Said, okay, fine. You, I'm passing on it. It's now yours to redeem. And Boaz says, yes, I'm redeeming it. I'm, I'm going to take this on and redeem and rescue. And, and he's a kinsman redeemer and kind of likens us to our redeemer, Jesus, who comes in and rescues us out of our despair and emptiness and darkness and saves the day. And here's where we pick up in verse uh, verse 11 of chapter 4. So they had just made this deal, and all the elders and all the people who were there at the gate said, said, we are witnesses. Kind of sounds like, come and see. We've, we've seen. We are witnesses. May who? The Lord make this woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephratah and, and famous in Bethlehem. May your house become like that of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the, uh, of the because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she be, and she became his wife. And when he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So so just stop there for a minute. We have this this providence of God coming through that that people at the gate, the the council, the elders all see this is of God. God is blessing this. This is this is what should be happening. Look how God, they're like, look how God is providing here. We're witnesses to this. Look how God is providing here. And it goes into verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. They looked at Naomi and said, Praise God. Look, you were empty and, and you have not been left without redemption, without the ability to be filled. May his name be well known in Israel. He will renew your life. You know how a baby does? He'll renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and took care of him. The The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, King David. Who else is in the line of David? Jesus Christ. Just so happens that she happened upon that field that day. Just by luck. By mere chance. That's not how God works, is it? And if you and I are to believe it, to really believe God is sovereign, we would look at our life and say, God, you're still sovereign over me now. In the hardest hardest place you're sovereign over me, in the best place you're sovereign over me, and I am going to trust you because you are working everything out for your will to be accomplished, that you would get the glory, that your kingdom would come, and that we one day would be with you in heaven. See, that's what God's working out for us, and we have to believe. We have to trust in that. That's part of, that's part of inviting people to come and see. Come and see that we believe God is sovereign, and, and for you and I, come and, come and see that every circumstance, every person you meet, every high and low in your life is something God is setting up for his good and his glory. Number, number two. 
trusting and having faith in the sovereignty of God frees us to participate along with God. Listen, there are times, and I mentioned this earlier, there are times that we, we feel so responsible for the, for the outcome, for what's going to happen. And, and what, what we understand is in the sovereignty of God, we don't have to be responsible for the results. We just have to be faithful to love and obey Jesus and let Him be responsible for the results. I want to share a story with you before we read this, this passage in Esther. You can turn to Esther as I share this story. Uh, when I was a really young youth pastor, we had a, a junior high youth group that met here at the church and, and a few young boys that were just awesome, rambunctious guys that came to faith in Christ and, and had a wonderful time just mentoring them and being with them. One, one day at youth group, the, the, one of the boys came and said, listen, my, my mom, who, who we've been praying for for a long time, she was sick and uh, praying for her salvation as well. We, she, he said, my mom is in the hospital. Um, she's, she's likely not going to make it very long, uh, probably has a few days left. Uh, but she, you know, I was talking to her and she said she'd love to have a visit from you and, and to share the gospel and to talk about Jesus. She wanted to ask questions about Jesus. I'm like, oh, yeah, sweet. We've been praying for that. I'm so excited. So it was after you threw it. So that sounds good. I'll, I'll go there first thing in the morning tomorrow and visit with her and meet with her and pray with her and, and just a- answer some questions that I can. Well, the next morning, I got up and I learned that she had passed in the night, that she had died. And I was a young youth pastor, kind of young in some of my theology and really, really just reeling under the fact that I didn't carry my weight. I didn't go over there and share the gospel. I, that was my responsibility. And now because I didn't go, she's in hell. God kind of that day woke me up and said, how dare you? You're not God. I, I talked to the, the son later on that day, and I, I, I had been just wrecked. And, and God, through this, this son, through this inter- encounter, reminded me who's in charge. I said, I said I'm so sorry I didn't get over there. I, I was on my way to go do that, and I, I learned that she had already passed away, and I, I really feel bad about that. I was like, oh, no, no worries. Pastor Ray was over there, and he came over, and she asked him a bunch of questions, and she gave her heart to Jesus and trusted Christ. I just, my jaw on the floor, like, what? And what, are, listen, it, there, it, it is a joy to share your faith and to share the gospel with people. But you and I need to understand, we are not responsible for people's hearts. God is responsible to save people. God is the one that's doing that. You and I have the privilege and the opportunity to partner with him, to partner with him. So I want to read this passage out of Esther. We're in chapter 4 of Esther, and Esther uh, was a young Jewish uh, woman, and, and uh, the, the Jews were in exile and, and kind of enslaved, but not, and they were just outside of their homeland. And she was one of the, one of the f- several that were, were gathered, Jewish girls who were gathered to be part of like the, the beauty pageant for the king. Now, which one is going to be my next wife, right? So and she was chosen, and she became Queen Esther, Right, so she was now the queen instead of this peasant uh, girl from lowly means who didn't have anything. She had everything, and she was still of Jewish heritage. And, and there was an official there named Haman who hated the Jews. He hated Mordecai. He hated the Jews. And actually, there's a lot of background story there if you read tonight and look into it, why, why Haman even still existed and why, what happened in the Old Testament that shouldn't have happened. Anyway, it's, it's kind of cool. Research it. Do your homework. Come back and tell me what you found. So Haman is wanting to kill the Jews, and he sets up this decree. And like, like most super powerful leaders are kind of sometimes hand, hands off at times and kind of like, what's going on over here? And they don't see what's going on over here. And Haman had developed a, a plan to basically wipe out the Jews and, and give to the treasury and, and made this deal, roundabout way, to get his way, to, to take care of Mordecai and all of his, all of his people. And, and they learned of this, like, what? You're going to wipe us out? And the queen is a Jew, right? She's a Jewish girl. You can't do that. So we pick it up in verse, and there's a lot more to it, but we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4 in Esther. It says this, When Mordecai learned uh, all that occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He only went as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited any, anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was a mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command uh, and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented. And many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her. And the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so he could take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathak, 
one of the king's eunuchs assigned to her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, uh, ordering their destruction so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated uh, Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard uh, and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends the golden scepter will that person live. I have not been summoned to appear by, uh, by the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of of all the Jews, because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent, this is the key, if you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to such a royal position for such a time as this. So Esther is in that position. She's in that place. She has that divine appointment to be able to, to participate with God in what he's going to be doing. And she's afraid. Oh, no, I, I, I might be killed. It's the death penalty. Right? I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't risk that. And, and, and he says, this is your time. You've been called to such a time as this. And, and it almost implies, if we read that last verse and not really get context, contextualized here, if we read that last verse, it implies all, all the authority, all the responsibility is on you. You've got to act. If you don't do it, we're all toast. If you don't do something, we are all going to die. But that's not what it said, did it? The verse right in front of it said, If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. He's, he's confident of that. He's confident that God is going to do something miraculous here, that God is going to come through with or without Esther. But he says, listen, you have the opportunity now, not only as queen, but as, as, as a Jewish woman, a faithful Jewish follow, a follower of Christ, follower of God, to, to show up for such a time as this. All the responsibility wasn't on her, but God gave her all the opportunity in the world to partner with him and what he was going to do. And, and we'll find later that there was a joy in that. You'll see if you read later just the, the joy of what happened and, and how it came through and how God came through for them. See, God comes through because he is sovereign and he does what he wills with whoever says, I'm in, I'm ready. I'll tell you another story before we get to our last point. When I was a young kid, I, uh, I, my dad, and he still does, but he, he worked in his shop all the time. He'd go out there and tinker with things and fix things and take things apart, and he would, he'd do a lot of woodwork stuff, so he'd have saws all out there, and, and we'd be cutting woods while well, he'd be cutting wood, right? And, and, and I'd go out there, and, he, and he'd, he'd call me over. He said, Brandon, I want you to come on over here. Come on over here and, and check this out. I want to show you what I'm doing. He might be building a birdhouse, right, or a planter box with some scraps for my mom. And, and so we were there together, and, and at that time, he, he, would, he said, come on over, and he'd give me a piece of wood. And I was, okay, what do you want me to do with this? He'd give me a little, little wooden block with sandpaper on it, and said, I want you to, to sand it. He'd show me how, sand it like this. And it was probably like 220 grit, so I wasn't going to mess anything up, right? Uh, and he'd just go and sand this, and I'd sand it, and I'd be part of that. Oh, I'd be sanding, this is fun. And my dad would be tinkering still, and I'd be watching, and he'd be showing me, and I'd be sanding. Then I'd give that one to him, he'd give me another board, I'd do that. And then he would start, you know, drilling the pilot holes, and and then he'd start, uh, and, and the countersink, and then he'd get the screw started. Brandon, come over here. And I'd grab the drill, and he'd have his hand on my hand or on the drill also, guiding it, because I would have messed it up. And, and okay, ready? Pull the trigger. And that would have go down in there, and I'd put it together. Oh, wow. And then maybe he'd, he'd allow me to put some glue or something on the, on the joints of, uh, to, to bind them together. And it was so amazing. I was, I was so, so excited to be there with my dad. I was so excited to, to be working and, and producing something. Like, I could do this. And we were all done with it. We'd, we'd go out and we proudly, me, right, proudly walk up to my mom. Mom, look, look what we did. Look what we did. And I'd show her the creation, whatever project we were working on. Look what, look what I did. We, we built this earlier. And it, and it was a joy on her face. And I, I tell you, I had so much joy. I had so much joy just being with my dad in his workshop. And what I found later as an adult, that our Heavenly Father is very similar. But my dad never, ever, 
needed my help in that garage. That he would have built those birdhouses with or without me. And what he allowed me to do, like our Heavenly Father does, he says, why don't you come on in and participate alongside of me and receive the joy of being about your Father's business. And see, that's about the sovereignty of God, and that is about our participation with it. We don't have to take that responsibility for your friend's heart on your shoulders. Your responsibility is to invite them to come and see how Jesus has transformed you and how you, day in and day out, participate with your Heavenly Father and be about His business. See, and there's freedom in that. There's freedom and, and just joy and going into the shop saying, I know I'm not going to screw anything up. I can't. My dad's in charge. He's going to take care of it. And even if I did, he'd, he'd cut a new piece, wouldn't he? He'd cut a new piece or sand it down. He'd make it right. He was always there ready with his little paper towel to wipe the drips of paint I had going or the streaks of stain or whatever it was. He, he made sure it was done the right way, but he let me mess it up along the way. He let me participate alongside of him. So you and I have this freedom. When we, when we really believe that God is sovereign, we have a freedom to participate along with God. Amen? Finally, number three. When we really believe that God is sovereign, we know that He doesn't get the address wrong. God doesn't get the address wrong. Go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. After all of the, the T's, right? Timothy's and Titus's, then Hebrews and right before James. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll just read a short passage here, a short story. And again, I want you guys to go, go look at these. Go in Genesis and read the story of Abraham as we talk about you know, this in Hebrews. You'll see, you can see it in, in Genesis. Um, and go read Esther and, and Ruth and really get some fullness of God's providence, providence and sovereignty. Um, but God does not get the address wrong. If I'm really believing that, that means where I am and when I am, every moment of every day is not by accident. Where I am and when I am and, and with whom I am. Is that right? It's not by accident. That's not by accident. That's by God's divine sovereignty. We treat the train going through town like a big mess, isn't it? Like, you, you can't do that. You're not even here yet, train, and your things are... I, I, I'm not going to sit here in my car. I have somewhere to be. Because we make plans, don't we? We make agendas. We make, we make plans for ourselves. But if we would look and open our eyes to what's on the other side of those railroad tracks when those crossing guards go up, God may surprise you with an opportunity for you and I to participate alongside him for his glory because he does not, does not get the address wrong. He doesn't get the time wrong. He doesn't get the person wrong or the place wrong. So when you're running late and you've got to stop in the grocery store real quick, is that even possible, by the way? Uh, all right. We live in a small town. I don't think it's possible. Familiar face every time I go there, every time. And if there's not, all the checkers are familiar. We're going to have a conversation. Someone's going to say hi. Someone's going to, like, it's not a quick trip. Lean in, man. Just lean in and say, you know what? I'm going. I'm going to the store. It's not the wrong address. I'll see you in an hour. I, I, seriously, I do. I do. When I text my wife, I'm heading to the store. All right, she knows. About an hour till dinner, right? Like we know. That's just how it goes. God does not get the address wrong. Look at this passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. This is the hall of faith in the Scripture, right? We see in, in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to the place he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I want you to understand, there's, as, as God, God not getting the address wrong, that's, I think it's two addresses. The first address is like, like Abraham. It's, it's to the place that God's called you to go. And he says in, in, in the end of verse 8, he says, He went out, right? Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Why is that okay? Because God knows where he's going, right? God knows where he's going. God doesn't get the address wrong. But Abraham had the faith. He said, God, I don't know the address. You haven't given that to me on my GPS yet. It'd be really easy to get there. If you did, God said, no, just, just go, and I'll tell you where we're going as you go. Have faith. I won't get the address wrong. 
And we have to have faith ourselves. We'd say, you know what, the, those, those little appointments, those little inconveniences in our lives are, are not inconveniences. Those are opportunities that God is giving us to interact. What we have done is we have busied our schedule so much that we don't have time for God's sovereign divine appointments. We don't have time to go in our father's shop and be about his business anymore. We have got to be making the time for that. We've got to be making it a priority in our lives to invite people to come and see. And if we're too busy for them, someone else is going to get the joy of being about their father's business. I want to be about that business. I want to be about that joy. I want to see the joy on people's faces when, when I see them believe the gospel and Jesus transform them. I want, to, I want to see that hope in their eyes like I have in my eyes. When I look in the mirror, I know it's there. I want them to have a hope. But we have faith. We know that God doesn't get the address wrong. So whether you're, you're going to pick up a pizza at Papa Murphy's or somewhere else or, whether you, or, or you're having it delivered at your house, guess what? That delivery guy, not an accident. He might have got the address wrong, but God didn't, right? UPS guy can get the address wrong, but God doesn't get it wrong. There are no accidents. There's God's divine sovereignty working and going ahead of us and, and working over all of his creation for his good and for his glory. The second thing we see in this, in this part of knowing God doesn't get the address wrong, look at, look at this, the final address, verse 10. Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. There was a promised land, and, and there for us is a promised land, a promised day in heaven with God forever. That there, there is a day when all of this, the inconveniences, all of this life, all of this mess, all of this dreariness, all, even all the greatness of it, all, all of this is going to be behind us. And we will see the sovereignty of God worked out in the end in the hope of his people being, being together with Jesus forever an eternal place, and that will be our permanent address with him forever. We, we, tend, to think, we tend to think these little being late or these little trains or, or, or our family not being ready in time is an inconvenience. God doesn't get the address wrong. You might not be able to see where you're going, but he does. You might not be able to see what he's doing, but he does, and we should be faithful. Wherever he sends us, he is sovereign, and He will not forsake us. So, as you go out, go and see the divine opportunities you have to invite people to come and see the transformation Jesus has made in your life. All right? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you love us. And God, we are so grateful as we talk about your sovereignty to know and understand if we look back on our own lives and, and how you drew us to, to yourself, how you stirred in our heart a faith and a belief and a repentance in your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that. We're, we're so grateful that you, you sovereignly drew us to yourself. You, you, you reached down, that you, you saved our weary, helpless, hopeless heart. You, you've changed everything. Father, I, I really do. I desire that we would be about your your sovereignty, be about your business. Even when we don't know the answer, we don't know the address, we don't know where you're calling us to, it's okay. We, we know you know that we would just be faithful to obey and to trust you every step of the way. That every little accident or inconvenience that happens in our lives is your divine sovereignty at work. God, help us to lean in, to see you fully, and to participate with you with what you're doing. And God, do that in joy because we're about your business. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.